your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Snap down, the kick is up, and the kick is good! Here's Lane! Huskers win it 13-10. They beat Northwestern and go to 4-2. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. Thank you. Welcome to our Thursday edition of Sports Highly here on the Husker Sports Network. Coming up a little bit later on in the hour, we're going to hear from our old friend, the former All-American quarterback, Steve Taylor. He's going to be featured in tomorrow night's Greatest Games, brought to you by the Nebraska Lottery, the 1986 Husker non-conference road game at South Carolina. For some Husker fans, it's one of those hidden gem games of the 1980s. We'll get Steve's take, his remembrances on that road win over a Gamecocks team that included Sterling Sharp, who went on to have a tremendous National Football League career. So it's going to be good to hear from Steve coming up a little bit later on in the hour. We have known, we always know that we have a really bright and informed audience here on Sports Nightly. A couple of weeks ago in our last Bill Moose radio show for the month of April, we had a call to Bill saying, Bill, have, have you thought about if you can't have fans in the stands, or are you thinking about popping in crowd noise, maybe virtually putting people in the stands so when folks watch the TV broadcast, they think that they're seeing a, a full house? Uh, Bill answered the question, thought, well, we haven't got to that point. I'm sure we will if we have to do that. That's obviously a TV call uh, for that to happen as well. And we've had some some folks who cover Husker sports, some of the, the media folks, made fun of that caller's question to Bill Moose. Well, how about this? Last night on Andy Cohen Live, Joe Buck, Jim Nance, Mike Breen, three of the bigger names in play-by-play in, in the country, appeared on Andy Cohen's Live Show and Joe Buck said that absolutely Fox Sports is it's pretty much a done deal that if they have to televise NFL games this fall that don't have crowds absolutely it's a done deal we're going to be pumping in crowd noise into those Fox Sports broadcasts quote I, in fact I know that they're going to do that he said they're also looking at ways to put virtual fans in the stands for the TV broadcast so that when you see a wide shot it's going to look like the stadium is jam packed Ben. Would this, would doing that bother you watching a football game this fall if Fox, CBS, ESPN, whoever's got the game broadcast virtually puts in crowd noise and fans? I, I don't understand the point, honestly. I, I mean, who, who are you trying to fool? You know, like everybody understands what's happening with these times right now and, and, and the road that – the people that are going to be tuning in understand the road that it will have taken to even get sports back. So I don't understand what the, what the need, what the necessity is it to make the broadcasters feel comfortable. I mean, surely the, the only reason isn't to make it seem like people are there. I mean, I don't understand what, what the point of that is other than to just, you know, give the, the broadcasters some, kind of ambient noise to make maybe make the players feel more comfortable. I know they, they were doing that in Korea a little bit too uh, to kind of replicate some fan noise. I, I, a comfort level for players, I don't know what it is, but if it's just to make it seem like there's people there, we all know that there isn't. So I don't know who you're trying to fool. 
So for the Huskers, you're down there on the sidelines, and you it's just you, the Huskers on your sideline, and the Purdue Boilermakers on the other sideline. You're okay with complete quiet. I mean, I you don't want crowd noise being pumped in the stadium. You don't want some mo- noise going on. If it's fake, I mean, why why crowd noise? Why not music? You know, like why okay. does it have to be? Sure. Why why does it have to be something that's sure. fake? Look, it's de- it's definitely different, but it's also going to be different playing games at empty stadiums too. So you know, I I don't want it to turn into. I mean, you remember the Big Ten championship where they were basically giving away tickets and handing out colored t-shirts to people to make it seem like people were there in Indianapolis because no one was going to go see Michigan State play in the Wisconsin and the Big Ten championship I, I I think it's I think it's a little phony now if 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 I hear from coaches that it's a it's a worry you know that that the communication's being picked up or you know there, there's some type of you know disadvantage or um, you know, sometimes sometime, something that's going to affect the play on the field, then then I'm all about it. I don't know what what that is, but you know, the idea of of mimicking a crowd, putting fake bodies, putting you know, playing fake crowd noise. If you want to if you want to find other ways to put noise in there, that's fine. But to fake a crowd that's not there, I don't I don't know. That's 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 weird to me. All right, well, folks, what do you think? Have you got a thought about this? 866-HOSKER-1, 866-487-5371. Fox is a definite yes, according to the this story on awfulannouncing.com. Jim Nance wasn't as forward-thinking. or he's, he's not as sure what CBS's stance is going to be on this. He wasn't sure what they have thought about doing, but according to Joe Buck, Fox is a definite yes. They're going to be pumping crowd noise into their game broadcast of the NFL this fall if there are no crowds there. The Major League Baseball talks continued today, and the baseball world is buzzing about the comments made by Blake Schnell of the Tampa Bay Rays saying that he is not planning on playing this year at a reduced salary he was on a Twitch stream. I don't think it was ours this week. <laughs> it he was became not. <laughs> the latest player to speak out. He said, y'all got to understand, man, for me to go, for me to go take a pay cut is not happening because this is a risk through this through the roof. Uh, it's a shorter season, less play. No, I got to get my money. I'm not playing unless I get mine, okay? And that's just the way it is for me. Like, I'm sorry you guys think differently, but the risk is – way the hell higher and the amount of money is i'm making is way lower why would i think about doing that what do you think you give it blake's now <laughs> um well, and i'll go for I'll, I'll go first here we got 36 million americans out of work because of this virus out of work not getting anything not getting any paycheck this guy who makes millions of dollars he ain't willing to give up half his thing to go out and play ball for people are you kidding me get out of here blake snell just get the heck out of here take your ball i don't care if you never pitch a game again in major league baseball get the heck out of here you got 36 million american people that can't get a paycheck right now because of this thing give me a break I think I I understand where he's coming from, but he approached it all wrong. I mean his his approach was was very beyond selfish. It, it was, um, you know, it, the, the 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 line in the in the quote in the video. If you, I watched the video, I didn't actually see it written out, but I'm gonna get mine. That's that's what's gonna stand out. Um, you know, look, I I was on. Uh, one of our affiliates earlier today talking about this and and my my stance on it is if he wants to stand up for the players that aren't 
making millions and millions of dollars in the major leagues, if he's standing up for those players that you know, he's coming out the angle that, you know, I, I'm doing fine, but there are guys on our team and our organization that aren't making the amount of money that I am. I worry for them. Um, you know, if, if he approaches it from that standpoint, if he, if it truly is a safety concern, then, then that's what he, he was saying, basically saying he's risking his life is what he was saying in the clip. But my thing is, so are the healthcare professionals. So are the the people that are collecting your trash every week. So are the people in the in the food industry. You know, and we always say, you know, there, there every time there's there's a there's an issue regarding an athlete, right? They get in trouble, uh, whatever. There's always that kind of that gray area. Isn't our athletes above the law, right? And, and there's always kind of that weird thing because athletes are these you know publicized figures and you know all this stuff it's it's always a slippery slope but to me this is this is the same thing you know you're you're, you are employed by them you know like there are there are a lot of other people in your organization or or not in your organization that would kill to put on a major league baseball uniform and follow the stipulations that the owners passed down we all knew that when the owners passed down you know what they thought was was a a fair uh, situation for the players to follow to start baseball that the players were were going to rebel and revolt because of it regardless of what it was but i think his approach to the to the subject was was entirely wrong um you know I, greg you and i know people that have lost their jobs you know during this time we, the other thing that makes this frustrating is there are basically every other source of employment in the country doesn't have a players association or a union that can negotiate and bargain with their bosses, right? If if somebody has to take a pay cut or gets furloughed, they can't rally with the other members of their quote-unquote association and go to the bosses or go to the, the owners and say, this isn't going to work for us. Come back with a plan that appeases me. The bosses and the owners and the business people are the ones that are making those decisions for so many employees. So the fact that he even has that safety net, that blanket to allows him to even think that it, 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 it's, it's unfair to all the Americans that have been affected by it. And I don't know that that's where uh, that's he was thinking about that when he made those comments, because well. it's he has a union. He has a player that they can band together as players and go, this isn't going to work for us. So come back with a plan that's going to work for us. Their broadcasters can't do that. We can't band together and go, yeah, taking a pay cut or being furloughed isn't going to work for us. Come back and uh, and come back with a plan that that we're okay with. This was all me, 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 me from Blake Snell. This was unbelievably off base by this guy. If he'd have done anywhere close to what you said he should have done, he he gets a pass for this. But man, if any more players follow the line of Blake Snell, they're going to get killed in the court of public opinion with the current climate in this country right now with millions of people not working. And this guy doesn't want to go out and pitch for $3.5 million for 80 games? Okay, you're a starting pitcher for the Rays. How many times are you going to pitch? In 82 mm-hmm. games, you're going to pitch, what, 18 times? Maybe, yeah. I mean, come yeah. on! This is unbelievable. And to, to think about all the all the healthcare worker, and, and, and the thing that bugs me is he says, you know, he risks his life. 
but he he is he there are so many people out there that are risking their lives that feel like they don't have a choice or they're doing it because they're selfless to help others right my wife is a nurse and works in the NICU and helps sick babies and there are a lot of other people out there that are nurses or have families in the healthcare system imagine if those people said you know what i'm risking my life unless you guys pay me x amount of money I'm not going to go do that. Where, where would we be at in society if everybody had that Blake Snell mentality? Oh. We would be burned to the ground right now. Awful. Just awful. Tomorrow night at this time, our greatest games brought to you by the Nebraska Lottery will feature a game from October 4th, 1986 in Columbia, South Carolina. The Huskers and the Gamecocks of South Carolina. Steve Tater, who works with us here at the network, was the starting quarterback for the Cornhuskers on that day, and he joins us now on our Woodhouse Auto Family Sports Nightly Hotline. Good evening, Steve Taylor. How the heck are you? I'm good, Mr. Sharpie. How are you? Hanging in there, buddy. Um, how, how are things? I mean, uh, how are things in your in your business world? How much of the, has this affected the real estate game here in Lincoln? You know, it's it's so ironic. Greg, that I've I've been steady and um, you know business as usual for me. Uh, I started five years ago, so I'm busy with that as well. And those houses are moving, and we got a nice nice modern product that I'm building. And then my other business, you know, just listing and selling houses, I've been strong with that too. So you know, it's it's so weird that we're going through this pandemic, but real estate wise, people are still looking at houses, still listing houses, and things are moving along. So we don't know what the next three to five months will bring, but to this date, uh, the real estate market has been linking has been steady, has been strong. Well, good. That's that's good to hear. Well, we had you on about a month ago because we've been playing these greatest games on Friday night, and we talked to you about the Oklahoma State game uh, in '88. We're going to go back to to 1986 tomorrow night for the South Carolina game. I've heard reports that it was a really hot day. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah, it was hot. It was steamy. And, uh, of course, you know, the Gamecocks were hot, too, so that, that didn't help our cause. But, uh, no, they, uh, we caught some teams at, at, at their peak, at their best, you know, and uh, with, with some players that they've had at the time. So, uh, and that was a hot day, tough place to play on the road. And obviously, they were gunning for us. So, uh, it, was, it was just a great battle. You got off to a really good start. You led 10 nothing after the first quarter. Uh, and your teams were known for that. I mean, the game we played a couple weeks ago that you played in with Oklahoma State, you guys scored like 35 points in the first quarter. Uh, that was kind of a the way your your teams were really good at getting out of the gate quick, weren't they? Yeah, we we couldn't mess around. I mean, I, I talked to Tommy Frazier and a lot of the players, and I, and I say, you know what, guys, honestly, you, you put together our preseason schedule, my junior, my sophomore and junior and senior year. I don't think you can find a more challenging schedule in Nebraska history, so – offensively, we always had to know that we had to put some points on the board. And although we had a great defense, we just played some hard, some pretty good offensive teams. You know, Todd Ellis and Sharp, and they were running that run and shoot, that kind of stuff, and he was having a great year. So we knew we just couldn't we couldn't, we couldn't, couldn't jack around. We had to go out there and, and, and set the tone and get some points on the board and, and just, uh, just go at it. Okay, 86, were you a sophomore that year? I was I was a true sophomore. That was like my freshman year, you know, which was weird. Uh, I I played minimal, hardly none, my my freshman year. The most games I ever played, or the most minutes I played, was coming in the Fiesta Bowl, you know, my my freshman year, and then just going to spring ball. So I was about as as green as you can get, and uh, that was a tough year because we opened up with Florida State, as you know, and I had right. a great game there. I was national player of the week and whatnot. But uh, I was learning on the go. Um, 
you know, I had a good surrounding cast, but I was I was about as green as you can get, and you know, I, I played well and has ups and downs, but for the most part, I played really well my my, my sophomore year, which would have been like my freshman year. So, I was green. I was I was a 19 year old kid and thrown in there and uh, just giving it a go. You talked about that non-conference schedule. Let me refresh everybody's memory. You, you're right. You opened with Florida State and Lincoln. They were ranked in the top 15. You beat them by 17 points. Then you go to Illinois. Then you come home and play Oregon. And you finish off non-conference in South Carolina. Nobody plays anything close to that tough a non-conference schedule anymore. Um, how about the guys around you for that team? Enzone Jones was, was a key part of that team for you. Uh, just talk about some of the guys that were a part of that team, yeah. uh, the, other, the other skilled people. We, you know, we were young. I mean, you had Enzone Jones, who was, who was, a, who was, a, who was a, not a redshirt freshman, you know, at the running back position, which at that time, which was pretty much unheard of. You know, we had Dana Brinson, who, uh, who, who was a young kid as well. We had Tyrese Knox, who was young. Uh, then you had myself, offensive line. Uh, Henley Hawkins. I mean, we we were an offensive line was young with Bob Sledge and and all those guys and and Jake. You know, so we were young. Rod Smith, he was probably our most seasoned veteran at the time. You know, but we were young across the board. Um, you know, but we but we were talented. We had a lot of enthusiasm, and uh, we knew we could play. Uh, so it's just a matter of just 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 growing and getting better. You know, every game. But uh, yeah, we had we had we had a young offensive line and a young team all the way around. <laughs> no question about that. Well- Okay, so you go to this, you go to South Carolina. Probably hardly anybody on the team had ever been to South Carolina before. You go play yeah. these guys who have a good team. You mentioned Sterling Sharp was on their team. You guys were up thirteen to seven at the half. You're up thirteen to six or ten going to the fourth quarter, but they take the lead on you, Steve, with about five minutes to go. Was there panic? What was the what was the sideline and the and the huddle like going out there for that final drive? You know, we as we we maybe we, we were too young to panic. <laughs> you know, but no, we didn't. Uh, we just we just knew we had to score. We knew we can do it. Uh, we knew our defense could, could come up big for us, like they did late in the game. I think Blazek may have had an interception or something like that. You know, uh, I played. I played. I think I played well that game as well. You know, we we knew what we can do. We're in a tough environment, but uh, you know, it just goes back to the head coach, Coach Osborne. He never panicked. He never panicked at all. He was always cool. He knew what we had to do. And, uh, you know, it was just a matter, a matter of just doing it and getting it done. And we were fortunate that day to do that. Uh, but it was, it was a great game. It was hot. I, I, what I do remember from that game, I, I was young. I, I read a play, and I got hit, and I looked at my fingers, and my left finger was was, was at a 90-degree angle. You know, it was Ooh. ridiculous. And it, just, it popped out of joint, and they, they popped it back in and taped it up, you know. But uh, it was just a battle. It was, it was just a great game. Guys are fast and big and, and hitting hard and great, great environment, you know. And we were on the road. <laughs> And everything, and it was early in the season, so um, it, it, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun, but it, it was definitely a battle. They took the lead with five minutes to go. You don't, you're not able to move the ball. You had to punt it back to them, and then your your buddy, your pal Broderick Thomas, forced a fumble to give you the ball <laughs> deep in their end to go in and win it. How about that play by Broderick? So oh, Broderick was Broderick was a game changer. We just, I was just talking about him the other day. I mean, that guy, I learned so much from him, and. And uh, he had tons and tons of confidence, and uh, he showed his abilities on the field, always backed it up, uh, kept the team. And he and brought up was young. Brought up was young as well. And he was a leader of that defense. You know, imagine that. You know, you got a true sophomore who's, who's leading the black shirts, you know. So, uh, of course, we had Danny Noonan as well. But, uh, you know, it was, um, it, was, it was a tough game. But defense came up big, and they got the stops when we needed them. We scored when we had to, and we got out of there with a victory. 
So he forces that fumble. You take over at their 26. Two minutes to go. You find Todd Milliken for the game-winning touchdown. Do you remember the pass play at all? That may have been one of your oh, only. Oh, yeah. My favorite play, counter boot. <laughs> counter boot pass. I tell you. And the first, the first option is to run. If you can't get outside, you pull up and you hit the tight end coming across the middle. If not, then you got I got Ross Smith coming back on a comeback. You know that was our one, two, three, four reads. You know, and uh, Todd, Todd was just so skillful, so finesse. He could find the soft spots. That's what he did very well. He was subtle behind the linebackers. When he had to pick it up and get in front of the linebackers, he would do that. And uh, so I, I was always, I always knew that he was going to be there for me if I couldn't get outside and get the run. If not, then I know I had. My buddy Rocket Rod on, on on the other side coming back with a comeback. So uh, great play calling. We ran a lot of counters that game, a lot of counter boots, a lot of counters with Dana Brinson, you know, ISO option pass, things of that nature, and me getting outside and stuff. So Coach Osmond was just brilliant in what he did and how, and how he called his plays. He kind of set everything up. So it was just a matter of us just holding blocks and making throws and, and, and taking the runs when we had them. Well, it was a heck of a finish. Husker scored with a minute and 26 to go to take a 27-24 lead, and that ended up being the final. We're going to all listen to it tomorrow night. That was a pretty good season. You ended up in the Sugar Bowl in New Orleans and beat a, a home team in that game as well in LSU. That was that was a heck yeah. of a sophomore year for you. Yeah, it was. You know, we, we, were, going, we were running at the half against Oklahoma when we were red. You know, they, they had some magical yep. plays with Keith Jackson and whatnot, you know, but uh, – yeah, that was that turned out to be a good year. You know, we were young and you know beating LSU at home and the Sugar Bowl was was great. You know, so uh, that propelled us into the next year. So we got a lot of confidence out of that year. So uh, you know, we were we, we never we never won a big one, but we were always knocking on the door and threatening. You know, and I think that's what set the Huskers up to help them have the confidence and do what they did with all those national championships that came to follow later in the years. I uh, I got goosebumps just thinking about that season. You beat Florida State, South Carolina, and LSU. That's a heck of a year. Steve, we'll have fun listening to that one tomorrow night. Good to hear your voice. Good to hear you're doing well. We certainly appreciate it. Let's uh, hope we get this virus behind us and we can talk about some current football going on. Absolutely, Greg. You know, you stay stay healthy and uh, stay safe. And um, let's, let's fight. Let's, let's plug our way through and get through this so we can have some Husker football, hopefully. You got it. Thanks, my man. Have a good night. Okay, thanks. You too, buddy. Teddy Greenstein joins us every Thursday night, sponsored by Bath Fitter. Get the beautiful bath you've always wanted. Kickstart your bathroom remodel by visiting bathfitter.com today. Teddy, when we get you on, we just say, I'm back. That uh, end, and people are like, what are you talking about? But uh, MJ had a way of doing it. David Falk wanted to go with some flowery announcement, and Michael <laughs> said, let's just go with two words. And, uh, and as usual, he had the right touch. Well, uh, what did what'd you make of the last week's episodes? I thought se- particularly st- episode seven was tremendous. Uh, absolutely the best one of the bunch. I mean, they've all been A's or A minuses, and then that was A plus um, plus to get that emotion from Michael. Like when he's holding up his hands like this and that one forefinger is kind of bent, you know, he's got the basketball finger um, that you certainly show your kids and you say that represents the sacrifice, but he was speaking about the real sacrifice, which is, yeah, some people are going to think he's a jerk. And ex-teammates are going to say, oh, what a pain, you know, he was to play with. And punching Steve Kerr in the face and belittling guys and just being so hyper-demanding. I mean, I bet they were all walking on eggshells pretty much every day in practice. But he was doing it not because he's a jerk. He was doing it because he thought it would help his team win. And, of course, that's exactly what it did. So, It's a good discussion to have with athletes. 
you know, I, I stopped it and I asked my kids, all right, what's a better management style? Michael's or Scotty's? You know, because they show Scotty putting his arm around players, giving him a pat on the butt. And Michael's is obviously 180 degrees different. And I think the answer is you have to be your own personality. And Michael can't be the warm and fuzzy guy. And Scotty can't be the hard ass. So do what you do. Set a great example. And let your personality reflect how you're going to lead. Teddy, we did uh, we, we do a top 10 Tuesday where we pick a topic and we do top 10 less than a week or so ago. We did top 10 all-time sports commercials. And Jordan was in like two or three of the ones that we picked. I mean, this guy was really sellable to America, wasn't he? Well, your timing of this question uh, couldn't be better because I'm just getting to work on a story uh, for the Tribune in a day or two uh, where I'll be kind of going through and, and rating the various commercials. You know, even the ones that are just so corny are pretty good, like Hanes, where he's holding up, you know, his red underwear that almost looked like a bikini brief. His dad's in that ad, his wife Juanita, his ex-wife now is in that ad, and that's a good one. But there were so many incredible ones. I mean, thinking about Larry Bird and McDonald's, I mean, when we were kids, Greg, we used to quote that ad, you know, off the backboard, off the roof. <laughs> Uh, you know, just the way they, he would do that one. He came across as so likable, so personable and so athletic in a lot of these ads. I mean, the Jordan brand ones are great. There's one ad where there are other kids kind of mimicking his greatest moves of all time, you know, like the triple fist pump and the shrug. So, uh, those ads really helped him to become the most famous athlete, and uh, I think Forbes estimated that he raked in $1.7 billion oh. pre-tax off those ads, and I think he's still making $100 million a year. Unbelievable. Teddy Greenstein with us, as he is each and every Thursday night here on Sports Nightly. Um, there's going to be actual live golf this weekend. I don't know if you knew that or not, but I'm ready, pretty excited oh, yeah. for this. Yeah, well, I'm scrolling through my, my story right here. Um, there's a lot of interesting stuff going, going on. So first, first of all, Greg, you probably know there's something called the Scottsdale opening. Uh, sorry, Scottsdale open happening right now. It actually concludes today, Thursday, and you've got all these tour pros playing in a mini tour event and fighting over a first place check of $20,000, <laughs> which is normally, you know, the amount of money they tip the clubhouse guy after they win a tournament uh, on the PGA tour. So you've got that. You've actually got a, a, a women's a women's event in Korea, a Korean major, if you're into that. Then, of course, we have the Skins game uh, coming on Sunday. Dustin Johnson and Rory McIlroy uh, will be the featured team there against Ricky Fowler and Matthew Wolf. So that's going to be exciting at a course called Seminole in Florida, which is like a top 15 course that uh, all the golf geeks love. It's, it's, you know, beautiful architecturally and nobody's really ever seen it on TV. So that's a cool event. Of course, next Sunday is the event featuring uh, Tiger, Phil, Tom Brady, and Peyton Manning taking place at the Medalist in Florida. That's going to be awesome and should raise a bunch of money for charity. And then I wrote a bunch about, you know, the PGA Tour coming back. We're talking June 11th to 14th at Colonial in Fort Worth. And uh, the players were given, I think it was a 47-page memo outlining all the safety procedures, I mean, you name it, they're doing it, starting with testing and no touching and, uh, you know, designated areas where, where people can and can't be. So it's pretty cool, man. All these other sports are, are surrounded by mysteries and, and golf is to some extent, 
but they've already pulled off some events successfully and the PGA tour is confident it'll be able to do it four weeks from now. Yeah. Yeah. Inside of a month now for that NASCAR also will have an event coming up on Sunday as well without fans in the stands. What about baseball? Well, what's your gut say about MLB? It's going to be so tough. Now, I do think the labor stuff is going to work out. Like, I don't think that's going to be be the reason it doesn't happen. And honestly, I don't blame the players right now for digging in a little bit. You know, they're the ones who are taking the risk here. Uh, They're the ones who are going to be playing baseball potentially in a pandemic. And to me, if anybody should take more of of a hit, more of a financial risk, it's the owners. You know, I think most of them can probably – subsist on not making any money this year but but trying to do what they can to to entertain the masses so i don't really blame the players here um the the interesting question is of course going to be what it's going to be like at these home ballparks without any fans and you know in an area like here in chicago i mean we are under some of the tightest restrictions in the country our numbers are not really going down um you know we can't even play golf here i think that this is probably this is one of the only cities in america where the golf courses are shut down the lakefront is shut down uh obviously no restaurants they're talking about the restaurants not opening until at earliest uh june 26th so this is really tight so are they going to be able to pull it off at wrigley field and you know on the south side at Sox park obviously they wouldn't do it with fans but it still takes i'm sure you know dozens if not hundreds of personnel to pull this off so I hope it happens, and um, I think the deal is that people are just going to have to understand there's some risk involved. There will be some players who test positive. Those players will be under quarantine, and then the show must go on. Uh, that's certainly what I'm hoping happens. Yeah. Joe Buck from Fox Sports did say for the NFL, if, if they have to play without crowds, they're going to virtually put fans in the seats and pump in crowd noise and try to try to simulate what it would be like if the place was full for their games. So that's what Fox is planning on doing if they've got NFL games in the in the fall. Well, the interesting thing, too, is going to be uh, how much college football will there be if there's none? I think the NFL tries to take over the entire weekend Agreed. and have a triple header on Saturday and a triple header on Sunday. I mean, that would be their dream, other than the fact that they're losing probably 30 or 40 percent of their money by not having a gate, you know, by not being able to sell all those suites and all that. But, yeah, I mean, the NFL seems determined to get it done. I'd be shocked if uh, NFL games don't get played. The money's too great. And, uh, you know, fans or no fans, those games must go on. We need our fantasy football, Greg. I know we do. Your, your old buddy uh, Urban Myers fairly convinced there's going to be something with college football this fall. He was pretty strong with some comments he had earlier this week. Yeah, it, 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 and how about James Franklin? Maybe we talked about that last week. Uh, you know, he was adamant that, yeah. hey, we, we don't need all 14 schools in the Big Ten to say let's play. If Rutgers, for example – you know, in New Jersey, a state that still has, it still really is a, a hotspot for coronavirus. If Rutgers can't do it, that doesn't mean Penn State can't do it or Nebraska can't do it. So, um, you know, I don't know why you deprive everybody based on, you know, a few schools saying no. That seems to be the way things are headed. Uh, it is going to be amazing to see how this plays out because obviously, you know, the California schools are saying it's going to be online. Other school presidents are saying, no, 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 we want students back. There's so much financial pressure, not just football-wise, but, you know, we have friends who are sending a kid off to U of I, to Illinois in the fall, and they don't want to pay for it if it's going to be virtual, if it's going to be online. Mm -hmm. 
So right. these schools, they are so motivated to, to get some real classwork, classrooms going. Well, we appreciate it. Enjoy. We'll look for your, your piece on Michael's endorsements. Enjoy the golf, the last two episodes of The Last Dance, and we'll chat again next week. Thank you, Greg. Take good care, man. Time for this week's 7 on 7. It's summer. The Huskers are sharpening their skills with 7 on 7 drills. We're keeping Greg and Ben in shape during the offseason with some 7 on 7 of our own. Seven topics. A seven nation army couldn't hold me back. From sports. From Manning, seven touchdown passes. To pop culture. I never joke about my work, 007. It's time to go seven on seven on Sports Nightly. Well, we did get preempted last week, but you know what that means? That means that these this week's topics are just going to be better than ever because we have had two weeks to come up with them. So let's that's do what it. That means. Bring it on. <laughs> That's right. Joined by Austin, but I'll kick it off with question number one. We've all enjoyed watching The Last Dance every Sunday night, but when the 10 episodes are complete, ESPN has announced a plan to start airing some new 30 for 30s on Sunday nights as soon as The Last Dance ends. So the three new topics uh, that they've announced will be about the 1998 home run race between Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. They'll also have one about... Lance Armstrong, and then another one about Bruce Lee. So what do you guys think about uh, those three topics? And also, what's a topic that you want to see them cover that they haven't already in their seemingly thousands of 30 for 30s? Well, I know a lot of Husker fans want that 90s documentary on Nebraska football. Yeah, I've been crying for, sure. for that, that dominant period of that. That's the one I think that comes to mind. I- I'm looking forward to the Lance Armstrong one because he was, wow, he was built up as this hero, this superhuman guy. And it was kind of a fraud at the end, and he kind of came crashing back down. So that's going to be an interesting one to watch. I'm going to say the one I'm most excited for out of the group is the is the home run race. Josh, we were talking about this on SNBL yesterday. Uh, just our memories of it, living living through it, and just kind of going through that um, going through that again is going to be really really fun to see. And and Greg, I'm, I'm eager to get your and Austin's thoughts on this because. Um, Josh and I brought this up, you know, with two guys that were going at it like that during the steroid era, and obviously both of those guys have been tied to steroids. The one thing about that race in 98, when I think about that race in particular, the nostalgia and just thinking about how competitive that race was, I don't really ever think of steroids when I think of that race individually, which is interesting because we know how it went for both of those guys afterwards, but even now, I don't necessarily associate that race with steroids or tainted in any way. I'm, I'm different. I do. I totally do. I think that completely blew records away that shouldn't have been blown away, the Maris and Ruth years, because these guys were juicing. But I don't totally blame them because the owners knew they were doing it. All the powers to be in baseball knew they were doing it, but they were all looking the other way because baseball nearly died in 94 with a strike. And so the owners are like, we got to get people back in it, and this is great. People are now back talking baseball a year. And so they totally t- – and so that's why it's two-faced now that we don't want to let these guys in the Hall of Fame because it was allowed and people were allowing it to go on yeah. when it was happening. I yeah. think the interesting part to your point, Ben, is that it wasn't about the steroids at that point. Looking back, it's all about the steroids and knowing what we do now. We can say that fueled it. Now, this was going on as I was being born. I was born in the middle of this home run chase between these two. So, I, so you don't remember much of it? No, no not much at all. Um, but I feel like 
in similar races, it's you're focused on the race itself, the competition between these two guys clinging to, you know, checking the box score the next morning in the paper and watching SportsCenter. So back then, like in the heat of the race, it wasn't about the steroids. But looking back, I think for me, that's all it's about. The yeah, thing... Oh, go ahead, I was going to say, I, I brought up on the stream yesterday is that it, it is different depending on what your age is. Ben and I were just at the right age where it's some of our first baseball memories and like one of the biggest events of our childhood. And so I, I obviously looking back on it, you, you understand the, how tainted it is with steroids, but just because the memories that I have or the feeling that I felt when I look back on it, it's so strong of what I, of the memories that I built and kind of how it made me a baseball fan to some extent or a bigger baseball fan. I think that that kind of changes it a little bit. Whereas I do think I would have, I would look at it way different if, if I had been 30 years old when, when it took place, I, I would have looked at it completely differently uh, yeah, know, later on. That's a good point. Um, Greg, you mentioned, you know, the, the names of Ruth and I'm not a big Yankees fan, but I would love uh, an in-depth dive of what those Yankees teams were like in, in the 20s, the murderers row in the 20s, or even in the 60s Yankees too, to get a further dive into DiMaggio and Yogi Berra and, and Mickey Mantle and Roger Maris. I would love to get, I mean, we have some movies and stuff, but there hasn't been, to my knowledge, any in-depth pieces done of behind-the-scenes stuff of what those teams are really like, and obviously those are going to be much harder to find because it was so long ago. But I would be—I would love to get uh, more info on that. More the the movie sixty one is really good if you haven't yeah. seen it because it deals with Maris and Mantle was on that team, and so you saw their relationship together. It's it's a lot harder to come up with the Babe stuff because yeah, there just wasn't mm. much film of that era. Yep. Sticking with Major League Baseball for question number two. You guys talked about it earlier in the show, Major League Baseball in the news about getting its season started in July and what that means for players in their salaries. The Athletics' Ken Rosenthal reported yesterday that there's a surprising name that might be the 2020 season's highest paid player. It's not Blake Snell. No, it's Prince Fielder, who hasn't played since 2016. He's set to earn $24 million in the last year of his contract with the Rangers. It's a weird twist where active players are getting some sort of prorated salary based on the number of games they're able to play, whereas inactive players like Fielder are most likely set to get the full amount of their contract. What are some other weird sports contracts you guys can think of? Well, the, the, the big one's Bobby Bonilla. Right? I was going to say yeah, that. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Is he still on the payroll? Yeah. I think another year or two. Another two years. I think he's got another year. I was going to say, I think he's got another year on there. <laughs> I thought it, yeah. I think it goes to like 2035 or something crazy like that. Yeah, 2035. Total payout, 29.8 <gasps> million. He's got 15 <laughs> years left. Whoa. Think about that. Whoa. That's, that's <laughs> the one that jumps out at you because it was so, and the Mets thought they were so brilliant at the time that they were prorating the guy's deal out. But my gosh, now you look at it. Oh, that's, that's, that's insane. Uh, the, the only other thing I can think of in terms of contracts is just like, you know, weird, weird demands. And it's more so in movies, right? Like country cub memberships or you know, a Ferrari or, you know, what all those other little like perks that you get when you when you sign a big contract. More so from the movies, right? Josh, the movie right. Little Big League comes to mind, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, when they're when they're coming in and they're. And, and they're uh, talking about – I can't remember the player that they're talking about, but Ricky Henderson, I think, is the one yep. they're talking about and the, about what he wants. Yeah, A-Rod's a big contract was the one yeah. that dropped, dropped everybody's jaws. Mm -hmm. at the that time. was the first one to really hit 
This was another topic on SNBL today. I think it was today, Austin, that we were talking about those big contracts, the Justin Verlanders, the Miguel Cabreras. Um, you know, there's those monster com- contracts that, you know, at the time they seemed to be the move. And, you know, mm-hmm. you, you imagine those Miggy teams, or those Tigers teams, I guess, in general with Verlander. What you when, when you were going through baseball, even if you weren't a Tigers fan, we, we were most of us are Royals or Twins fans, so we were in, this, in, the, in the league. You couldn't imagine what the Tigers would be like without Miguel Cabrera or Justin Verlander because of how good they were at the time. None of us thought twice of the contracts they got because at the yeah. time they deserved it, but we saw the, the brief nosedive that they that both of them took. Now Verlander's resurrected it, but both of those well, at the time were huge too. I usually just take some of those things with a grain of salt where you know they're getting paid way too much at the end of their career. They were getting way underpaid at the beginning of their career when they were still under their rookie contract, and so I usually just kind of overlook that a little bit. Usually it balances itself out to some extent. Yeah. Moving on to topic number three, moving away from sports for just a little bit. A five-year-old boy from Utah named Adrian Zamaripa was recently told by his mother that she wouldn't buy him a Lamborghini, and so he decided that his next move was to take the keys to his parents' Dodge Journey, hop on the interstate with $3 in his pocket, and drive to California to buy himself that Lamborghini. He didn't make it far, though. He got pulled over by a highway patrolman because he was swerving around the roads so much. So... How early did you guys learn to drive a car, and did you ever try to run away from home? Maybe not in a car, but just running away. How did point. he reach the pedals at age? Yeah. Five? How did he reach the gas at age five? I know I how to shift the gears and. Yep. I don't know. See he, over the he, steering wheel. He made it work though enough that he was. He got to at the least highway. on the road. Yeah. 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 Holy crap! Uh, <laughs> Imagine pulling think, next to that in the, at a stoplight. I well, think I was fourteen when I started learning how to drive. Yeah. Did you ever try yeah, to I mean, run away from home? No, <laughs> didn't do that. There was one time where I like, and I, I'm pretty sure nothing even really happened at home to like put me in that mindset. But I just thought it'd be fun to like, like you watch that movie Tom and Huck or whatever, and you know they're out doing their own thing, and right, you know I can I could pack a bag and go live out in the woods. I think I lasted sure. like a half hour and then came back. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I mean I wouldn't even really consider that running away. It was more so. I'm going to go live in the woods and be Bear Grylls. <laughs> um, I was probably eight, <laughs> but I um, guess I could drive a car then. Um, <laughs> I didn't. I don't know. Like, yeah, 14, 15. The, the big thing for me was my dad had this junk truck that was a stick shift, but it was the thing was such a piece of crap. The, the shifter was all – I mean, you basically – it was like you were bench-pressing plates trying to get that thing in gear. <laughs> yeah. And so you, learning how to drive that was an experience because that was my first stick shift. And then every stick shift I've driven after that just felt so smooth. You didn't, you didn't yeah. need to break the thing <laughs> to, to get her in gear. Yeah. Well, I, I grew up on a farm, so I was driving, you know, tractors and things like that. And then, you know, it was a lot easier just to drive our, our car, learn how to drive a car or a pickup or whatever at a relatively early age and not even yeah. have to go out on the road to do it. So Or a U-Haul. <laughs> there you go. This one isn't me, but my 10 or 11-year-old dad had to get a flipped over tractor out of a ditch that his driving age second sister managed to do on the farm. Oh, man. Oh, my. Ooh, yikes. So, shout to Papa Orman for that one. On to topic number four, ESPN's NBA writer Zach Lowe recently tweeted a picture of a sidewalk square outside of an elementary school. The square says, 1955 field day spoon race. Betsy was first, not Emmy. Ew. Lowe then captioned the tweet by saying, I respect donating a sidewalk square outside an elementary school as part of a grudge. 
Do you guys still hold any grudges from your childhood, and would you be willing to spend money on it to write the narrative? <laughs> um, man, that's hard. I'm trying to think. <laughs> you got to go back a ways. Uh-uh. Yeah. <laughs> no, nah, I mean, if you're still holding a grudge from your childhood years, <laughs> you, you better go sign up for some therapy sessions, I would say. No, I'm not holding anything that long. My gosh. Even the even the first girl who tur- turned me down on a date, uh, <laughs> I've forgiven her. Okay, <laughs> that's the, good. Good to hear. The, the only thing I can think of is like, so this is really random, but I owned like a set of like bases, right? Like bases that you'd put out in your backyard for like yeah. wiffle ball or whatever. Mm-hmm. And my best friend and I got in a big fight one time, and I like witnessed him stealing one of the bases and putting it in his house, and. Oh. Like, I was like, well, where is it? He's like, I don't have it. I'm like, I watched you take it. And he was like, <laughs> for like two weeks, we were fighting about this stupid base. And I held that. I, I held on to that for a long time. I'm, I'm obviously over it now. <laughs> I ended up getting the base back. But, I, yeah, I did not forgive him for a long time because of that. I mean, ima- imagine having all the bases but one. You got to go use a towel or something. That's not cool. <laughs> yeah. All right. On to topic number five. Last week, Elon Musk and his partner, the musician Grimes, welcomed their first child together and named their son XAsha12. I believe that's how you say it. Grimes tweeted an explanation saying that X is for the unknown variable, Ash is for the elven spelling of AI, which means love or artificial intelligence, and A12 is a type of aircraft. So. There are rumors that the name won't be accepted in the state of California. I haven't looked to, to see if that's uh, any updates on that. But either way, there are some. What are some uh, unique names that you've heard of for kids being named? And then more specifically, Greg, were there any unique names you and your wife threw around that you thought about naming your kids? And Ben, are there any unique names that you and your wife have talked about with your first child on the way? No, we were pretty traditional. When I hear this kind of thing, I always think of that Seinfeld episode where George Costanza wanted to name his kid Seven. <laughs> yeah, and it was and it was after Mickey Mantle. He wanted to yeah. name his kid mm-hmm. Seven. Yeah, so there that brings it back to sports right there. There, there you go. But no, we were it. pretty. We were pretty traditional. Yeah, Apple. Someone named their kid Apple. Yep. I remember that. Um, and and the Card uh, the Kardashian Kanye babies like North. Oh yeah. And I don't know what the other ones are, but isn't there a saint in there somewhere? Yeah, maybe. I, I think yeah, there's actually Kardashians kids is Saint North Saint. Yeah, that's that's weird. Uh, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't uh, characterize the names that we're talking about as on uh, you know any type of quantum physics or aircraft related uh, that I know of. So yeah, I mean this this hasn't inspired you in any way. It's it's, it's probably not going to be a name that you like here every day, but it's also not going to be uh, a moment where the nurse looks at you writing on the certificate yeah. with what is it? Wait, what? <laughs> or can I get the spelling of that? Yeah. Perfect. It's always been odd to me, too, when you have a kind of a traditional name and people spell it funky. Yes. Well, yep. it's going to be misspelled the rest of their life because everybody's yeah. going to exactly. think, you're you just, know. You're sending the, the kid up for a lot of Agreed. misery, having to correct people all the time. My sister's a, a second-grade teacher, and, boy, we should get her on here. Some of the names are pretty special. Yeah. That, uh-huh. my mom, that she's had. My mom had that. She worked in WIC for a while, and the two favorites I remember are Absidy, which is spelled A B C D E, 
Oh, and then oh, also Ladasha, which is L E dash A. Literally a hyphen yeah. instead of the letters D A S A. Wow. Love it. Topic number six, non-sports again. A woman in Iran named Fateme Hamami is paralyzed in 85% of her body, but she still manages to paint portraits with her foot, mostly of famous soccer players. So if you guys could learn to do one thing well with your feet instead of your hands, what would it be? Hmm. I feel like if you knew how to do some things with your feet you could do a lot of different things right true like, yeah it would if you could do one thing well it'd probably like the dexterity that you would have you'd already have that skill yeah um i don't know like we've all played sports growing up you know you remember like not necessarily breaking your thumb but like jamming your thumb real bad and having it be super swollen and having that hand basically be out of commission yes um being able to like tie shoes or something, you know, something that makes those situations where you're basically using chopsticks with your middle finger and your index finger, you know, trying to tie your shoes or whatever to make that situation a little easier. That hasn't happened to me in years, but, you know, playing football and playing basketball in the backyard and jamming fingers and popping fingers and, you know, you'd have two or three days where that thumb was a hurting. So, yeah, being able to use my feet would have been nice back then. It'd be a cool party trick if you could, like, sign names with your foot. Yeah, right. You know, take off your sock and, what are you doing? Oh, you're, what's your name? Tommy? Hey, Tommy. And then sign Tommy <laughs> on a card. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking, like, you know, trying to learn how to play an instrument with your feet or... Oh, yeah. There maybe, you go. Maybe shooting pool with your feet. That'd be a really cool Ooh. trick to I got a pool table. Maybe I'll try that. <laughs> yeah. Probably could Practice. beat Nate Roar doing that right now. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Oh. All right. <laughs> All right. All right. I would say that's bold, but I don't know that you're too far off. Well, it's fair. All right. Let's move on to our last topic. Last week, Nicolas Cage announced that he's pitching an eight-episode TV series based on the popular Tiger King docuseries. Cage would be cast in the role of Joe Exotic and also serve as an executive producer. So what are your thoughts on this in particular? And then what's the worst movie that you've seen Cage be a part of? I, I haven't seen Tiger King, but he'd probably be pretty good at that. Uh, from here I really don't think about. it'd be that hard of a of a of a character to play. Right? Would he really be acting? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I like unique guy. Cage in Con Air. I like that. It was a Vegas gone movie in sixty was, seconds. Uh, he was not very good in that Two Face with John Travolta. That face one I off. Didn't, I didn't care for face off. <laughs> yeah. I'm um, trying to think. I, I really gone in sixty seconds. Movies. Is, Gone in 60 the, Seconds is a good one. The uh, Where he's uh, looking for the Constitution or the Declaration of National Treasure. National Treasure. Yeah, National Treasure. Treasure. One, two, three, four, good. and five. How many of those are there? <laughs> I feel like there's a lot. He was pretty good in those. Yeah. I'm trying to I'm trying to even think of... I did not like him in Face Off. I didn't think that was that good. <laughs> that was a weird movie just all, yeah. all together. Um, What's he done lately? Has he been in anything lately? I don't know. I feel like people Those make guys. fun of him for being a bunch of random stuff, but I just feel like lately I I don't I can't even remember. We have to Google that. Last time he I was, was going to say decent, he was in Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse as a voice. Other than that, nothing oh. major. Okay. Yeah, for several years. Interesting. Well, he's I can't trying say to make I have his return. He's trying to make his return with with the Tiger King. I guess might be this. That might be my answer. Maybe maybe yeah. it's <laughs> worst one. Probably. 
Very good. Well done, boys. You, you, you came through with your two weeks to put that uh, seven on seven together. No sports on this weekend. We've got you covered. I know everything about film. I've seen over 240 of them. Time now for Sports Nightly Flicks Picks. And action! Here we are. Time to give you some recommendations, things we've been viewing or looking forward to viewing. Let's lead it off with Ben. Just wrapped up season 40 of Survivor, one of my favorite <laughs> shows of all time. Josh, we uh, yes. crushed this when we were living together. Uh, watched season after season after season. Still a dream of mine to one day be on that show. Uh, just finished season 40. And, Greg, you recommended Outer Banks. I started that about three episodes in. Certainly holds my attention so far. Yeah. Interesting okay. dynamic of a show. Can't wait to uh, to see how that thing finishes. But, yeah, Survivor and Outer Banks. Wrapped one up in the middle of another. Okay. All right, for me, uh, on Mother's Day, actually, is the day after the tacos I smashed for my graduation party, <laughs> thanks to my family, my fiance's family, I was not feeling doing a whole lot. So Sunday, I watched uh, Star Wars 9 and Avengers Endgame back-to-back before going home for dinner with my parents for Mother's Day. So that was a great way to sit and do nothing for about <laughs> six hours. So I'd recommend that if you got time to kill. This week, though, I'm a peacock. You got to let me fly. I've used that in conversation multiple times. I have to watch the other guys at some point. <laughs> okay. There you go. Uh, along those lines, Austin, I've started about thinking of getting back into some of the Avengers movies, going through the, working my way back through those again. Um, and one thing that I have been watching recently it's not really on tv it's just on youtube but some good news by john krasinski uh, jim from the office he's been doing those and those have been kind of cool to watch they've gotten bigger and bigger each time that a bigger production uh each time that he premieres one of those so that's been fun to watch um and then yeah ben that you've inspired me i think i'm gonna go watch survivor now i i I think i'm through you know caught up through 39 seasons so i'll have to go watch season 40 now uh, here uh, shortly You've, you've inspired me on Hulu. It's a great season, by the way. Might yep. be the best ever. You know, Comedy Central shows the the office and reruns. They had the warehouse game on the other day. The, the basketball game? Yeah. Yeah. Classic. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess whoever was ahead won. Well, How about was I had no idea. <laughs> How about the way Stanley was dribbling? Se- yes, Secret perfect. weapon! <laughs> oh, and then wow. Kevin's out here just burying triples afterwards. <laughs> Doesn't they even didn't get play him. Didn't yeah. play him. I went back and watched a couple of the Mission Impossibles over the last week. I've enjoyed nice, those. Nice. Those are pretty. But one, number two, I, I don't remember a lot of number two, so I was glad I, I went and started from the beginning, so saw one and two. So I uh, had fun doing that. I'm going to be watching some golf on Sunday. Teddy talked about it earlier in the hour with Dustin Johnson, uh, Ricky Fowler, Rory McIlroy, and Matthew Wolf having a little duel coming up on Sunday. So I'll be watching some live golf on Sunday. What a good hour here on Sports Highly.